Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for season three of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And I saw some photographers uh, leaving already the battlefield. And it was Jim Nachtway, it was Chris Morris, and they were completely exhausted. And they were, with all their gear, you know, like, yeah. protected. But I was, uh, was just uh, the boy <laughs> with the camera, and that's it. You know, it's like, no helmet, no nothing, you know. Well, yeah, yeah. And, but it's, uh, it's, cra- it's crazy to do it this way. It's the mid-1990s, in the ruined city of Grozny, at the height of the First Chechen War. Past Chris Morris and Jim Noctway, into the crowd of adrenaline junkies and cynical war correspondents, walks a completely different creature. A soft-spoken, self-taught young photographer from Moscow named Yuri Kozarev, the child of journalists who had already stumbled into the Soviet-Afghan conflict and come out alive. He would eventually become one of the most celebrated conflict photographers of our times, but what I really love about Yuri is how, in an industry of gigantic egos, he remains both the bravest and the sweetest journalist I've ever met. Working alongside him in Abkhazia, Georgia, Sochi, and rural Russia remains some of the highlights of my years as a Time Magazine correspondent. So of course, as my final Moscow interview from last year, I had to sit in a hotel on Pushkinskaya and drink coffee and talk to my old friend and mentor, about covering the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, the Arab Spring, and why he's finally working again back home in Russia. My name is Nathan Thornburg, and you're listening to The Trip, drinking with exceptional people around the world. So your first war was was Chechnya? Yeah, well, there was Chechnya when the Soviet Union collapsed. You know, there were a lot of conflicts, small conflicts, domestic over there. Yeah. And I tried to cover them. What were some of the small ones, and who were you working for? I was freelancer. I was on, on my own, curious to, to be there, to witness uh, all these uh, changes. And there, there was small things, like Moldova, even Abkhazia was not really... It was big, but it was not really big, big. But those can be some of the most dangerous, too, right? Yeah, yeah. But even now, uh, with my experience, I can say that Chechnya was a really, really tough, the toughest experience. Yeah, still. Yeah, still. Why? What made it that way? Everything was unpredictable, dangerous. Me and my colleagues we were on our own. You could be with the rebels or you could try to be with the Russian army, but most of the time you actually buy yourself between these two wow. uh, uh, forces. Yeah, <laughs> and you were as a Russian citizen? Yeah, it's, uh, it was uh, not really important at that time. People didn't pay attention on this. Yeah. Later, it's, it's become more um, like sensitive. But at that time, it was a young photographer who tried to be in Grozny on the street, which was bombed ba- badly by airplanes. But I was young. Um, How old were you? Uh, good question. I was 20, 26, 27. Wow. Uh, yeah. That's the age you actually start to travel and, and try to, to get to some tough places, you know. Yeah. People do the same, young people, young photographers, they do the same, you know. Just, just try to find their way in yeah. there. I was incredibly naive. I was uh, 
brave. <laughs> but, yeah, no, like, he's doing air quotes around brave. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. But it was well, a good thing I, I met right people, you know, who actually helped me to find a way, you know, later. Stanley Green is one of them. Mm. He's, uh, he's one of the photographers who helped me to understand how to cover conf- uh, conflicts, how to be there. You yeah. know, it's, uh, you know, I remember uh, the day I tried with, with my friend, we followed one Chechen boy who helped us to get inside of the downtown, Minutka, yeah. you know, it's like one of the famous uh, district of, uh, of Grozny during the war. And I saw some photographers uh, leaving already the battlefield. And it was Jim Nachtwave, it was Chris Morris, and they were completely exhausted. And they were with all their gear yeah. detected. But I was, uh, was just uh, the boy <laughs> with the camera, and that's it. You know, it's like no helmet, no nothing, you know. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. And, but it's, uh, it's, cra- it's crazy to do it this way. Survived, which is great, you know. It is. Yeah. <laughs> the first experience in the conflict zone was actually earlier in ninety, in ninety one. It was Afghanistan. You were in Afghanistan. I was in Afghanistan. Uh, first, I came to Tajikistan. There was a um, civil war. There was there were a lot of refugees uh, living for Afghanistan. I crossed the river. I, I got to Mazar Sharif. I made a lot of his mistakes. Just try to get to the front line by bus, you know, full of, uh, of Mojahedin with Kalashnikov, uh, who realized that uh, me and my, uh, my my friend were Russians. So we actually were were, were captured by Mojahedin, and uh, there was a stop in a small town. We we went out, and then Valery, friend of mine, who traveled with me, um, he was. Uh, captured by Mujahideen, they took all his stuff. Then we tried to find a shelter with the refugees. They helped us, but uh, at the end, of, like, we were actually taken by, by Mujahideen and spent three days in, in prison. And then, lucky with the, one of the guy who, they understand that we uh, were not soldiers. Uh, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's still a uh, fresh memory about occupation. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, Soviet, uh, Soviet, uh, so they thought maybe you're spying. And they just pull out and suddenly yeah. the Russian photographers traveling and try to reach uh, Kabul, you know, just to see Mas- uh, Masoud. You know? Yeah. So altogether, it was an uh, incredible experience. So like for, for a Valeria friend of mine, he's still a photographer. It was significant experience to change his mind to, and to do something different. Yeah. Uh, he was incredible young, worked for Network, it was a British agency, covered enough conflicts, but Afghanistan was a turning point. Yeah. Turning point when he decided to change his career. He came back to Russia, started uh, working on, on, on different subjects, but now we actually got a, several beautiful books about modern Russia. Huh. It's a classic black and white. The, the 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 moment where he decided he wanted to do something different it was <laughs> Af- in Afghanistan. Like, the moment you were you kidnapped know, by Mujahideen. Yeah, it's like Yuri, it's enough, you know. <laughs> but it was not enough for me. So what? Yeah, why? Why for you? You were like, okay, now I know better. Next time. The next uh, conflict was Chechnya, and uh, I couldn't say that I was experienced enough. Uh, I, I was getting experience, but um, I think the significant changes, understanding that you can do it properly in a different level happened in 2001 when the, the the war in Afghanistan happened yeah 
invasion and occupation, whatever you call it. Finally, I, I got actually real support from from big media, from big publications. Right. And it's important. It's very important when you when when you have people who support you behind you. you know? Right. Who are paying so, attention. Yeah, working with a team, you know, with a professional journalist, I, I learn a lot. In 2001, you went back to Afghanistan. Yeah, 10 years later. The same route, you know. Wow. I crossed the same river. Everything was familiar. But now I was not kidnapped. I got in trouble on the second day. On the second day of my second trip, I was familiar with the environment and culture, I thought. Yeah. Uh, I got in trouble. All my cameras were taken again. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was, um, I was um, driving around the valley uh, with a driver and, and a fixer. And I saw a beautiful scene, you know, there was a group of people, and most of them female. Refugees? He, I don't know, well, that, that was, a, was a guy on the road, and I asked uh, what is happening there, and said, I don't know, just, and so we decided to drive there, and just to take pictures, and, but it, well, I couldn't manage any, to take any pictures, because the men from this group start shooting at us. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, the, it was wedding ceremony, it was something they, they didn't expect strangers to, to show up. So, they were angry with the driver, they took all my cameras, and I was like, okay, okay, again, 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 <laughs> Afghanistan is, wow. a, is a, it's a, it's my destiny. They just Lost took the cameras? Yeah, they took the cameras. And then you left? Uh, we left, yeah, and the um, driver was, was a little bit beaten, uh, but... Uh, he was okay. We came back to the town. I found the local commander and explained what happened. And I said, it's, it's fine. He would find your cameras. I found my Leica uh, next day or the day after at the drugstore. I bought it. It was the cheapest Leica in my life. hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I bought my Leica back. That's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. If only they knew how much uh, your Leica could go for <laughs> at that drugstore. But it's good. It could have been Jim Noctway had shown up five minutes before and bought it. Uh, <laughs> um, and you were with major media by then, Western media? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it was LA Times. We did a lot of stories here in Russia. At that time, it was huge interest to, to the country. Yeah. And uh, every uh, big publication had office bureau in in moscow yeah yeah uh and big uh, bureaus too yeah it's like there are four writers four correspondents for la times in moscow incredible four or five for time and even picture editor was assigned to be actually uh for for time was assigned to be in moscow you know which is incredible I mean, those things are related right if you have enough people, you'll find enough stories, and you're not just telling the same story, the same kind of story, yeah, which is... which is annoying now. Which yeah. is what's happening now, right? Yeah, we have one Russia story and, like, uh, zero yeah. Russia correspondence. Yeah, and the, the Afghanistan was a part of the of this territory the uh, LA Times Bureau mm. covered, you know, just like... Uh, so we, it was okay for us to go to Afghanistan through the Tajikistan. Uh, and all your old Mujahideen camera-taking friends we're now working with the government. Some of them. Some of them. I, I was back to uh, Afghanistan many times. Right. 
even when Iraq happened, I still traveled to Afghanistan and was between trips in Iraq. It was crazy place uh, for vacation, <laughs> but we did it. Michael, where and me, we did it. We could easily travel from Iraq to Afghanistan. And you would relax in Afghanistan? Not Iraq really, you know, because we, it was not easy to relax with Mike. <laughs> he was always looking for some adventure. And uh, I remember that trip. We, we came from Iraq to Afghanistan and it was, I think, 2005, or maybe six, when um, there was a lot of noise about, about Bin Laden. Yeah. Uh, uh, special forces, uh, the army tried to, to find him to catch. And uh, yeah. we decided to work on this story, which is crazy, you know. So we, we got to Waziristan, and it was not easy. We found the right people in the, at the guest house of Waziri in Kabul. They, they brought us to, to the huh. border to Pakistan. Low profile, we look like Afghani. We, we thought we looked like Afghani. <laughs> Uh, stay with the strangers at the, um, another guest house in Waziristan. Took a trip to, to the mountains. It was crazy day. Like it was Michael, me and two guys for, for Waziri. And we were on the, like, on a dirty road in the mountains. And uh, just uh, like we real, realized that somebody watched us. Oh, just two guys looking for Bin Laden. But like next, next second, I was on the on the ground. We were ambushed by as special forces. U.S. special forces. Yeah, U.S. special forces. We introduced ourselves. <laughs> we, they were surprised. They reached the mainland uh, through the radio and say, "There's two idiots trying to 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 do something. Like what we we can do." And they that should they, be the name of your memoir. Two idiots try to do something. <laughs> But then the fact that we found them, yeah, uh, it was enough for them. We, we actually got to the right spot. <laughs> but and you uh, saw them, and they did not want to be seen. Yeah, so they let us go. Next day, there was a mopping up operation at the village we stay, and there was this uh, familiar faces. Wow, well, uh-huh. <laughs> your, your old friends. From and the day they, we were with a group of Afghani. Yeah, uh, man, um, almost detained. And it was funny, some of them realized that we are not Afghani and they asked me, do you speak English? And I kept silent for too long for them to, to be angry. It's like, man, do you speak English? I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, it, was, it was a strange trip. At the same time, you know, incredible experience. Again, you, you could do it if you have publication like Time Magazine who yeah. can uh, help you to, uh, oh, like, who supports you to arrange yeah. that kind of trip, you know, just... Just wire you money when you need it, yeah. get your yeah. supplies, it's, it's important. have uh, a satellite phone. Everything, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, need, uh, you need to be well equipped to... To find Bin Laden. <laughs> to find Bin Laden, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So by the time Arab Spring happened, Time Magazine was changing at that point. Right. Although I guess right at the beginning, it probably still had the same structural support. Maybe did you feel like you were still able to go on assignment in the same way when Arab Spring started going down? I think Iraq was a like real big mission for time. There, there was a huge interest. Uh, it was a really important story for for the magazine, and I can understand. You know, yeah. it should be some kind of 
interest and a responsibility. It was 2010 when the US troops pulled out of the country. Yeah. I went there. It was a very complicated logistical operation. Yeah. Yes, the house was uh, abandoned. You know, the tiny yeah. house was... Actually so, and before then, they had this time house every every news organization had their own house outside the green zone no 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 it was a uh, different steps of it so at the beginning of the invasion there were thousand journalists based in, in iraq and then when it really became dangerous to be based there a lot of them pull out there was a compound in, in baghdad surrounded by by you know fences yeah uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. concrete walls yeah right Concrete walls uh, and guards. And guards, uh, yeah. And we have our own own people. It's a very solid team. Yes, and time our office was outside of green zone. Most of the publication actually moved to the green zone. Uh-huh. Washington Post, some TV crews they stay in the red zone. But, uh, and time uh, we we never we never even considered to move to the green zone because it's complicated. Yeah. In and out. Yeah, and yeah. You you can lose this feeling, you know, just what is actually happening on the ground. Any movement on the ground was complicated. Yeah. To get out of the of your compound to reach the the place. And so uh, you had this kind of legendary crew there. There's you and Mick Ware, there's Bobby Ghosh coming. Yeah. Brian Bennett, um, yeah. there's just a lot of a lot of kind of stalwarts, um, Francesco. You mean uh, Franco? Oh, Did Franco, he? yes, yeah. Franco. So Franco Pacetti would come in and bring marinara sauce <laughs> from Italy. <laughs> and Bobby Ghosh is a notorious, you know, cook, uh, would sort of yeah. cook amazing meals and yeah. he would smuggle wine in. Yeah. It was a home for us. It was really tough conditions. It was our place. You know, sometimes we were back to normal life it was our story, main story for, for, for almost eight years. And when you did go out of the compound and do the stories that you did, was it always like you and Mick looking for the terrorists or were you embedding? Like, what was your feeling about embedding with U.S. troops, which increasingly was what was offered, right, to media? Yeah, it was, a, it was a, some kind of procedure. You apply, you get your spot or your embed with a unit you want to be. And it depended on the stories, on the events, what, what was happening. So if it's Ramadi, it was, we try to be with the right people in Ramadi or Fallujah or Basra, any places. Yeah, but uh, I think uh, Michael really wanted to do embed at the beginning. Mm. And me too. I feel more comfortable just to uh, riding through the country with Mohammed, you know, just on, yeah. uh, on his old car, you know, low profile. Comfortable because of safety or because of the story? Stories, yeah. With the military, there's some kind of restrictions. Yeah. And you need to respect the rules. So we started to cover the Iraq war just from the military side. But Michael was uh, one of the last correspondents who switched. He still had amazing contact. He tried to, to be on the rebel side. It was 2004. Uh, we could be with the rebels. Mm. On outside of the military base, and next day did embed inside of the military base. Wow, it was crazy. Yeah, it happened several times. You know, at some point they, you couldn't be with insurgent, it's uh, rebels, insurgents. So they say no, we don't need you. We don't want uh, to be around. So Arab Spring began as after kind of just after the U.S. pullout. 
right? I mean, U.S. left Iraq in 2010. Arab Spring starts in... 2011. 11, yeah. I was in Yemen. I remember that trip. You would you would posed as a uh, importer of uh, honey. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's, it's one of the country not easy to get in, to get visas, so... But they got this honey, and they know that Russians love honey. <laughs> like, <laughs> like any bear should. Well, I was right, you know, just it's, it's like a, it's a place where you can taste uh, amazing Bible honey. So 2011... It happens. I was in Yemen. I was not aware that something happened in in, in Cairo. Poking on on my own story, it was nothing to do about revolution. And then I got a call from Patrick Woody. He shared that what was happening in Tahrir, and I was lucky to get there. I think God, they already shut down all the international flights, but uh, I was flying through Saudi. Right. And uh, it was considered like domestic flight, so I, I managed to get on the in Cairo uh, to Tahrir. Lucky to get inside, uh, find the right small hotel at the corner of Tahrir, full of reporters, most of them French, different huh. age. Some of them came there just because they're, I guess, missing revolution. A lot of young people. Yeah. A lot of experienced guys, you know. So you went from uh, from from Yemen to Tahrir. Tahrir, yeah, and it was uh, right time. You know, just absolutely amazing experience. It was a place where I actually uh, could understand what revolution is about. Hmm. It was full of young people, a lot of inspiration. Egyptian, you know that. Yeah. And then, yeah, then uh, Mubarak was out and we heard about Libya and we decided to take a trip there. A few of us. We went there when Benghazi already happened. Libya was tough. Because it was very fluid, right? You had no idea kind of where the fighting was going to be. It was really unpredictable. You just trust your instinct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. It's like in Chechnya, yeah. <laughs> but on, on the road. Yeah, wow. Where it's like no fixed... Uh, even driver could run away. Some of us are eager to move forward. Yeah. And some of us uh, stay. Where were you in that camp? I try to be on the front line. Yeah. Most of the time. Yeah. It's it's, uh, it's just you only have one way of doing doing yeah, this. Yeah. There were pretty like there was really close calls many times, and then uh, yeah. I mean, your pictures from Libya are incredible, and, and, you know, these are not the important things to you, but obviously they got a lot of attention and awards, and Revolution Road, which was your exhibition that had come out of that, was just completely remarkable work, in part because you were right there. With yeah, yeah. The whole year was exceptional, you know, just we, I, a few of us tried to be everywhere at the same time, because it's, it's happened suddenly everywhere, you know, like, Uprising every in, in all Arab world, you know, Yemen, Bahrain, Egypt, Tunisia, where it's actually started. When I couldn't stay in Libya, I tried to go to, go to Yemen. Mm. If I couldn't be in Yemen, I tried to, to go to Bahrain or back to Egypt, you know. So it's a revolution happened in, in Egypt. There were a lot of things happening. It took time, you know, for... Uh, people like to 
to come to Tripoli and uh, when the final battle happened. But when the final battle for the capital happened, it was not over. It was just actually the beginning of the big disaster. Yeah, yeah. The beginning of the big disaster. I think that's, that's an appropriate epitaph for that year. I would do almost like vacation stories with you, which for me were kind of uh, fascinating and interesting, and for you were a nice quiet break. We'd go to Georgia with Saakashvili, or we were in Abkhazia or Sochi before the Olympics, and even then you, I think, were talking about not doing this anymore. Yeah. I don't think I've had a chance to really talk to you about why, but you wanted to stop doing conflict photography was not easy decision but I and I it took time for me you know I, f- I got decision and then I I was back to, to the conflicts and it was for for, for a couple of years when I reconsidering if I if I really and there, there were a lot of thoughts about it so I think one of the uh, one of the reason I really want to be domestic back to Russia and do more in my own country just realize that whatever we did uh, um, in, a, in a different countries was very selfish, you know, just it's, a, it's, a, it's about our experience. And suddenly we are, like a photojournalist, become very important. Hmm. And I, I don't like this. I don't feel that we, we, we should be behind the camera. It's not about us doing something, you know, just it's about the story. A lot of things happen bad things you know we lost people we, we lost friends uh, some was kidnapped some was uh, slaughtered some was killed that's a, it's a very bad experience but you know just I don't feel like I, I want to be on a stage to talk about it's more it was more important to have stories published and so the readers can understand but there was a significant changes in the inside of our industry you know suddenly yeah. publications stop support us they couldn't support us uh, to to do our job properly yeah so it was and they would ask you to go somewhere for three days yeah just no going for for like um, uh, it didn't work for me yeah i found that in iraq i came to in 2002 i couldn't find any local journalists any photographers yeah by 2010 there were 100 amazing photographers yeah who knew the culture, language, yeah. uh, what is happening on it. So they could do it better than us, you know? Yeah. And the same in Afghanistan. Amazing professional journalists grown up there. Yeah. During the, covering the war with us, you know. They started like drivers, like security guys. Right. But then they, there was some kind of patient for, to do something more. Yeah. Yeah. So they pick up cameras and we help them. Yeah. And I, I could be proud that in Iraq there are some, some photographers that help and they're doing good. And yeah. They're doing better than us. So when I realized that if you really are ready to get committed to move to the, to the place and stay there, and uh, then you can do it pro- properly. You can do your job properly. There's a second Chechen war when I moved to Ossetia. And you also have South Ossetian roots, and yeah, this yeah. is an important story to you, yeah, yeah. personally. Uh, so for my father is from, from Caucasus, so it's, uh, for me it's, it's, uh, it's my story. But that, that's another thing, you know, when I finally got decision not to go to the conflicts anymore, 
It's happened in Ukraine. I went there and I was on both sides, on the Ukrainian side, on the on the Russian side, and they are stay in in Donetsk, you know, just with the with the civilians, and I just realized it's too close. Suddenly, I realized it's too close. It's a war, which well, I have some kind of connection, and I start to understand Iraqis and Afghanis mm. which uh, yeah, when we were just traveling there, and yeah. The, the the huge difference we could always pull out, yeah. get out of there. Yeah, but they stay there. Maybe it sounds like a bit strange, but it's uh, the war in in Ukraine. I I went there uh, and I was killed during the year, but then I realized it's over for me. I don't want to do any any conflicts anymore. I want to do something different. So many bad things happening around the world. You know, just. Uh, uh, people got used to this, you know, they mm. don't pay much attention. So that's also a part of it is feeling like people aren't really responding to the stories the way that... It used to be. It used to be. Yeah, yeah. So if Kira Pollock, old director of photography at the time, and is now at Vanity Fair, if she calls you tomorrow and says, Yuri, name your latest conflict, uh, and we'll give you the budgets like it used to be, and you can spend some time on the story, are you tempted? Good question. It's a really good question. No, well, <laughs> you, Kira you, should try. <laughs> are you listening, Kira? <laughs> Make him an offer, and we'll see. Well, it's still possible. Iraq is not over for me. It's in my blood. You know, I've, I spent uh, almost eight, eight years there. The story is not over. I need to come back at some point. But it's not like chasing every event, every disaster that's uh, happening. Mm. I think I, I would come back at some point, and I, I know there's uh, it's forever, you know, just what is happening now. Yeah. But I need to come back. I need to find a way to finish my own story there. Mm. At least to try to see people, you know. Yeah. I met. I met there. And maybe continue it's support a of the local journalists. In absolutely. Some way. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a, it's very personal. A personal story for yeah. me. But there are some conflicts I just don't. Uh, I, I I don't really. I understand what is happening, and that's very important. To if you go there, you need to understand what is happening. Yeah. Uh, to, you know, that kind of skill just to survive. Yeah. Yeah, I have it, but it's it's the last thing I am interested in. Yeah. I need to understand this. Yeah. Story. I need to do it on a personal level. That's very yeah. important. When when I had come through time, the way that I had a career in foreign correspondence was some of the worst of both worlds, where I would go to these places and have as short a, a, a length of rope as you had in the late stages, just go for five days and come back with the story. And the, the burden of understanding, just basic understanding is so high. Um, and that sense of like, well, what are we accomplishing here? I mean, it should be like an absolute truth that you tell a story and that by telling the story, you're going to do good. And I guess what you're saying is after 20 years of living that truth, it's not, it doesn't feel that way in every occasion. But it's not just a negative decision, you know, to stop doing this kind of work. You also wanted to start doing another kind. Absolutely. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I'm still passionate about photography. I'm still curious to go to different places and different kind of stories. Uh, well, if you're looking for the war, it can be at, the, at your neighborhood in Moscow. You know, it's just, yeah. it's, uh, I'm not looking for the conflicts. I'm looking for other kind of story. Uh, and they're important as well, you know. Or, like put in the in another way 
Arctica is one of the stories I've started working on. It's, yeah. a, it's actually a new front line. <laughs> yeah, right. It's the next conflict zone. It's a cold war, should we say that? Yeah, let's, uh, it's really cold. <laughs> it's really cold. <laughs> the idea that you would have to fly around the world to find a story does seem odd. You have this big, fascinating, kind of largely untold country that has a big political story, a big cultural story, huge demographic story, environmental story. So you go into the Arctic, you're working with Kadir von Loheisen, who's one of your stable mates at Noor. Uh, what is that story? What are you guys doing? Kadir and me, we've been uh, talking about it for several years. And when actually Kadir tried to help me to, to find a new way, you know, just to, to do something different, not just chasing the news. It's really interesting what is happening there for many, many reasons, climate change, but a lot of changes. We're covering from, from different sides. Me here in Russia, it's, a, it's really a huge, huge border of Arctic, you know, I think it's the biggest one. Mm. And uh, a lot of places I want to, to go, and I really uh, hope to get on an icebreak, you know, to, to be on the north route. It's an it's a incredible advantage for, for Russia, you know, just it's a, with the climate change, it's, a, it's much easier now to travel through the North Road, yeah. which brings incredible opportunities, you know, for, for the country. So that's my hook for the story, you know, yeah. just to pass the North Road. And I will try to do several stops, you know, there are some important places like uh, Yamal Peninsula, which is, could be a story about uh, um, gas oil, um, so companies or, or nat native people and indigenous people. Yeah. There's a old conflict. It's always, you know, right. it's always conflict between, between. Yeah, the world is coming for them, for sure, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, if it hasn't uh, already. And Kadir is coming from the West. Yeah, he's, uh, he, he has many countries, USA, Canada, uh, Norway, Greenland. We try to, to, to show or, or to tell the story about the changes happening in the Arctic from different sides, and it will be global. Hmm. That's a, that's a, that's a story we're working on. So, and then you and Kadir will meet somewhere? Probably, yeah. Was, yeah some, uh, we'll, somewhere in the far north. Yeah, we should. Yeah, maybe North Pole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once I got there, uh, you know, once I, uh, it was many, many years ago, I got there at the North Pole by, by chance. Uh, <laughs> it was actually happen? during the, it was just, uh, it was election time. Yeltsin was still in power. Oh. And uh, there was a guy from Krasnoyarsk uh, who showed up at the uh, journalistic house, you know, just famous yeah. place on yeah. here, not far from here. And uh, we came with the idea, like, uh, guys, if you want to play football on the North Pole, you're welcome. And it was like, it sounds like a crazy idea. But we say, yeah, why not? It's just, uh, I was, uh, it was like, it we were covering uh, the conflicts at Chechnya at that time. Suddenly somebody came and said, let's go to play football <laughs> and on the, at the North Pole. We said, yeah, let's, let's do it. So it was a group of bunch of us. Then we went to the North and then we took a helicopter which brought us to, to the North Pole. And wow. we actually played football there <laughs> at the North Pole. Uh, uh, a dream outing. It was a, it, was a, uh, it was a real adventure who reached the North Pole and was so disappointed to see a bunch of drunk Russian guys playing football. <laughs> Could have found that very. Yeah, but the guy, the, uh, the guy who so. gave us uh, this amazing opportunity to get there was dreaming to be president. He at that time, 
Uh-huh. You know, he was one of the candidates. He really was... wanted to, and that was his um, extraordinary approach. Uh, <laughs> this is like a campaign. Campaign, uh, yeah. He he invited journalists who, like, of course, we shared these stories when they came back. Yeah, yeah. I disappeared from my wife for a couple for, for, for five, six days. And she couldn't believe that I play football at the North Pole. <laughs> well, but I, you're a photographer, <laughs> so you have photos to show. I had yeah. some photos, and I had a, I got a stamp in my passport. It's, uh, it's like a, it's, it's a bear, you know, stamp of stamp of the bear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and meanwhile, just on a personal level, you're enjoying being back in Moscow. You said you went on a long bike ride today with with your dog, yeah, Coco Chanel. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's uh, a beautiful day. It's May. Yeah, everything is like it's the best time. I always try to be back to Moscow and stay with my family in May. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's pretty rare, but it now uh, I, I can schedule yeah. my, my life. You yeah, know, just yeah. I can decide when when it's time to be on the road. It's a little bit different what I had before. Yeah, what, and it's, what was blowing up? All around these the world. things still happening. It's yeah. uh, so you pay attention. You you read your New York Times every morning. And yeah. And then you decide what is next. Feel like yeah. I have my own stories, and family is very important. Yeah, it's nice to have a <laughs> have a short trip with your dog. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, you're a very lucky man, and Regina's a very patient woman. <laughs> that she you, is. After all of these adventures, here you are. Well, you've earned it, and I am very excited for those of us who care about Russia in particular that you're here working on that story. There's no way that that isn't going to result in, in something that's meaningful and moving and beautiful and, and important in, in some way. So, by the way, when you say that you'd like to stay behind the camera, I'd, I'll just vouch here on the podcast, it took some effort to get you to actually talk <laughs> this morning. You said, let's talk, but do we need the microphones? Uh, because it's just not in your nature to sort of Absolutely. Uh, to broadcast uh, any of this stuff. But uh, I love you. I'm so happy that you were on the show. It's been amazing uh, talking to you, and I'm very excited about this next thing. Thank you very much. Pleasure. The trip is hosted by me, Nathan Thornburg, produced by Roads and Kingdoms. Tafi Mokanyazi is our editor and producer, audio mixing and production help from Emily Marinoff. Our executive producers are me and Matt Goulding, also of Roads and Kingdoms. Music by Dan the Automator. Adele Rodriguez does our logo, which spent the holidays on top of iTunes. Thank you, Apple Podcasts. I want to send out a very special thanks to Josie Holtzman of Future Projects. She helped start this show with me about a year ago with Anthony Bourdain and produced the first 20 episodes. She is a smart and dedicated audio savant, and the new production company she's running with Isaac Kestenbaum is excellent. Look them up at futureprojects.xyz. That's futureprojects.xyz. And thank you, Josie, truly. Next week, I'm trying to work on one of my New Year's resolutions which is to figure out how to do more for my own city of New York, where the inequality is so extreme and getting worse, and yet we all seem to just accept it. To that end, I'm drinking herbal tea with activist and organizer Jennifer Ching of the North Star Fund, who is not one to mince words about where we are and how we got there. It is such a perverse disgrace that the primary battlefield by which we 
fight about inequity is education when, you know, the, the educational system reflects the centuries of wealth stripping, of racism, of oppression, of segregation, of redlining, of all the things, all the things and more. We'll meet you there. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.